Hello, all. Welcome to the Ex Millennial Man podcast. I am your host, R.D. Kulik, and with me here is the the man who is going to be the ruler of whatever tribe it is over on the other side of the Mississippi when society falls apart in oh, about two or three days here. And that's the greatest other host. He's the Mad Max of the other side of the Mississippi. The greatest other host, Ty. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm doing good. I wouldn't want to be a leader of anything. I would be happy just to be somebody who's kind of living their life in the middle, just kind of how I'm living my life right now. Well, that's why I said you could be Mad Max because he isn't really with anyone. In all of those movies, he just like helps somebody and then goes away. Yeah, I think that's that's even too much responsibility for me. Max's responsibilities. What we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about dystopian films. And actually, I'm going to talk a little bit about a TV show, too. And there's a few reasons. First off, I saw, or okay, so I thought of this as last week I was on the phone with a friend of mine who also happens to be a reporter. And we're just kind of talking about stuff like what's going on with the Supreme Court and all this other crap. And I go, it's like we're heading towards some kind of dystopia. And he's like, don't you think we're already there? And then I saw someone put a meme out that I guess some bookstore or library or something says, we moved all the dystopian fiction into the current events section. Yeah, so it's true. <laughs> I got to thinking about, okay, what, what are the films that help inform these kind of dark times? Now, originally, Ty, because I said, give me five dystopian films, and then I'm, I'm going to fill out the rest here. And mainly because if you missed one or two, like the very last one we talked about that we're going to talk <laughs> about, but. There were a couple of parameters I wanted, and I didn't even put these out on you, but you kind of followed it anyways. First off, these have to be movies where the future is unsettling. And Mm -hmm. I know you didn't have Blade Runner on here. And I remember thinking if you were going to put Blade Runner on here, I was going to be like, because on a completely different note, I watched The Batman again. Oh, man, again? And I watched it over the course of three nights. Okay. (laughs) And... (laughs) I actually like it. I actually like yeah. it a lot more than I did when I saw it in the theater. And I okay. have no idea what that is, why that is. But my point is, if you're going to say Blade Runner, I'm going to say then the Batman's a dystopian film. Because yeah, it's I, just rain. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I even wrote, when I sent you the text of the movies I picked, first of all, I want to tell people these type of movies besides comedies are my favorite type of movies. I don't know why I like dystopic science fiction movies, but I just find them fascinating to watch. But yeah, it's like Blade Runner to me is more noir than sci-fi. I understand that the original one takes place in 2019 in Los Angeles and the new one takes place in 2049. And the new one definitely has more climate control stuff that we could have talked about, but that still Blade Runner is more a detective, a noir movie, in my opinion, than full-on sci-fi just because they have flying cars and it takes place in the future does not make it just solely a science fiction no and this is just gives me a reason to talk about big casting news but like i even thought dune a movie like dune which takes place like ten thousand years in the future but Mm -hmm. no because first off it's not dystopic or dystopic in any way and second off in dune part two christopher walken is playing the (laughs) padishah emperor God, mm-hmm. what was the dude's name? Saddam the Fourth. Christopher yep. Walken is about uh-huh. to play the Emperor of the Known Universe or Known. It's gonna be rad. <laughs> I'm gonna love it. And like I wanted to say too, before we really get into it, when you gave me this idea, I actually thought really long and hard about it and talked about dystopic movies that are reminiscent of what's going on or what could happen in the future. And I really, really thought about it. There were a lot of movies I could have put down, but I think the ones that I came to 
are either happening now or they could have happened. And we also, you know, I was talking to our father about this yesterday. We could have done a whole episode of this just based on the TV show Black Mirror. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Like easily. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much so much good dystopic science, science fiction stuff out there right now. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because the reason the ones that we particularly chose, you said it was there's a possibility or there's something mm-hmm. that you can see in us today that this is the path we're going down to, or going da- towards, I guess, so to yeah. say. Use Blade Runner again as an example. The types of technologies they're talking about in Blade Runner, those are a thousand years off. Whereas some of the things we're going to be talking about here, except for the very first one, it's pretty damn close. And yes. speaking, going into the first one, I remember originally I was thinking, what are my five favorite Charlton Heston films? Because <laughs> I, I don't know why, but lately I've actually been in a big mood to watch old science fiction movies. Well, not old, okay. but like 60s and 70s science fiction movies. Because yeah. at that time, they're making these big movies, Lawrence of Arabia and all this other crap. But in science fiction, especially Charlton Heston, they're making these movies. And like I watched The Omega Man the other day. That movie's 90 minutes long. And it gets you in and out. And God, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Charlton Heston is awesome in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I was watching uh, Logan's Run, which I kind of gave up on. It's a little bit boring. It's kind of cheesy. Yeah. I didn't want to include those older movies because, I, again, we're the ex-millennial man. I want to include movies of our lifetime. But you're going to talk about an entire series minus one movie, Planet of the Apes. Now, yeah. that's next on my list. And I'm going to watch at least Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes because I can't remember if I've ever seen it. I mean, I've seen as much of Planet of the Apes, the Charlton Heston one, as I've seen Stop the Planet of the Apes, I Want to Get Off the Musical. So- <laughs> Such a great musical. (laughs) So tell me about Planet of the Apes. Yeah, and I do want to say when I sent you Planet of the Apes, I said you can we could talk about anyone except for the Tim Burton one. The Tim Burton Planet of the Apes is awful. It's so bad. And you know, I've seen the original one with Charlton Heston and yeah, Charlton Charlton Heston, you know, I don't mean to speak ill of the dead, but he was an awful, Mm -hmm. awful man. A horrible man in every respect. But those movies are good. But the ones I want to talk about are the newer ones. The ones that where Andy Serkis plays uh, Caesar the monkey and there Caesar the ape and those those are the ones that I kind of had in the forefront of my mind because you look at those three movies first of all I believe in evolution I think we evolved from apes that that's what makes sense to me again sorry religious people sorry other people that's that's just what I believe in and when you watch the first one the first one that they had the one with James Franco and John Lithgow you can see that Caesar's treated poorly because he's treated less he's treated lesser than he's treated than lesser than a person because he's quote unquote not human he's a monkey and as he evolves and gets smarter and starts to get people on his side apes start to take over and that's what happens in the next movie so much so that there's this great scene i believe it's on the golden gate bridge uh, that might be at the end of the first one too mm-hmm, but there's yeah. a scene in that where the apes just completely take over they take over the whole city it's theirs they run everything to where you get to the third one and you know we live in a world now uh, pan- an ongoing pandemic that's still going on and there's a disease in the third one the one that woody harrelson's in but by the time you get to the second and the third movie those movies are more about how the apes have taken over society the apes are running things this truly earth is truly a planet of the apes and i could see with the way you know you watch stuff on the news or you see stuff in papers and you read about it how we're teaching monkeys sign language and we're te- teaching monkeys how to do these things and monkeys put on shows at zoos and stuff like that at some point, there's going to be a hyper-intelligent monkey who decides enough is enough, and they start to take over, and they 
teach other people the things they've learned. And this could be 200, 300, 400, 500, even a thousand years in the future. But there is a world to me where these new Planet of the Apes movies are a real thing that could happen because you do have these people who are teaching these apes how to communicate, how to do things. And apes are so smart that I think they will start to communicate with other apes. And I could very easily see a world where they do, just like you said, with uh, Dr. Zayas, when they're singing Dr. Zayas and what's his face, Troy McClure comes out and, oh my God, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. I could honestly see something like that happening. And that's why I just think Planet of the Apes is something that could easily, easily happen in our world. Yeah, I mean, we're we're gonna blow it up. God damn us to hell. We're gonna blow it all up. So <laughs> totally, <laughs> that is the truth. All right, I told you I've been going back to watch older sci-fi movies, and where I started, what I mean older was, I wanted to watch John Carpenter's The Thing, and I've never seen that. Oh, I need to see that. Yeah, it's a really good movie. I mean, it's yeah, a really uh-huh. good movie. It's but it's one I'd always missed out. But there's another John Carpenter movie that I have not missed out, and there's a big reason that i have seen it and maybe it's just of my generation and not yours but that movie is escape from new york i've seen parts of it okay. I, kurt russell's in that correct? yes and yes. it was filmed in st louis i believe yes that's why okay. i've seen as a matter <laughs> yeah. of fact i'm going to tell you a little bit of the backstory of it well first off the movie itself takes place in the future year of 1997 and um <laughs> i think it came out in 81 or 82 basically crime is so bad that they just turned manhattan island into a super prison. They put up a huge wall all around it, and then they mine, They put mines on all the bridges, and there's constant patrols, and you get convicted of a crime, they just throw you in New York. And the plot of the movie is the president of the United States, Air Force One gets hijacked, he shoots off in an escape pod, lands in this prison, this Manhattan Island prison. The government needs Snake Plissken to go rescue him. He's got to go break into New York, get the president and come out. And it, it's a great movie. Isaac Hayes plays the Duke who's like nice. uh, runs one of the one of the gangs of, in the prison. Ernest Borgnine plays Cabby who is going around driving Snake around and all this stuff. And it's a really what's co- it's a cool movie first off. I mean, a lot there's an internet theory out there that Snake Plissken is actually Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China just older. And, okay. But it's cool, too, because it's so cynical. At the end, the president is going to give this speech, or he asks Snake, like, you know, you saved me. Spoiler alert, everyone. You saved me. What do you want? He goes, I want you to think about all the people that died to save you. And the president just brushes him off, and Snake's like, yeah, you know, he has this whole thing. But the filming of this movie, okay, so John Carpenter, who's a legend today. Mm-hmm. But this was, he was not considered a go-to filmmaker, and he had trouble I think he wrote the movie in the mid-70s. He had a lot of trouble getting the movie off the ground. But finally, some people came in. He had a bunch of people working for him, including a very young uh, James Cameron. And they were trying to find out, okay, look, we can't film this in New York because we want it, in their words, they want it to look like, quote, looking like the worst city in America. So they sent this. <laughs> they weren't lo- far off. Yeah. So they sent this location scout out all over the country, and he came back with East St. Louis, Illinois. Sure. And so he said, you know, it looks like block after block was burned out. There's nothing there, and they did film some of it. But what they did, the old Chain of Rocks Bridge, 
is mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, the climax that uh, it's supposed to set uh, stand in for the 69th Street Bridge. That's where that was filmed. There was a bunch of stuff filmed at Union Station and the Fox yep. Theater. And then even there's a, a big climactic scene, which is filmed, which is now the Schlafly Tap Room. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so it's funny. I It was a couple of years back I watched it, but I recognize those places. I mean, they've been updated and renovated sure. since, and they were supposed to look like crap. But yeah, Escape from New York, the worst-looking city in America. Well, St. Louis is not too far behind that, so I, <laughs> I don't feel so ashamed about that. But no, that's a movie I've seen bits and pieces of, and I really have grown to like Kurt Russell, so that's something I should definitely... Because I just I used to... Quick little tangent here, but I used to not like Big Trouble in Little China when I was a little kid because I think it scared me. Mm-hmm. And I rewatched that at like the start of the pandemic, and oh my god... That movie rules so hard. Oh, God, yeah. That's- <laughs> so, yeah, I need to watch Escape from New York. Like, actually sit down and watch because I've never seen it from start to finish. Yeah, and, and Snake Plissken is like, one of the coolest names of all. Oh, time. easily. And I know he made, they made a updated sequel or they made a sequel to it called Escape from LA. And it wasn't, it's not as good as Escape from New York, but I actually think that movie is grossly underrated. It okay. really, there's a Futurama episode where Fry and his girlfriend, they're going to freeze each other for like another thousand years, but it ends up, they wake up in some hellscape and it ends up, it's LA at the, okay. you know, in the year 3000. They got yeah. a lot of the kind of weird, just stupid jokes Futurama did from Escape from LA. I actually think that movie's underrated. It's not Escape from New York, but I think it's better than a lot of people give it credit for. Just like with Planet of the Apes, I could see at some point some crazy president saying, all right, you did something wrong. You're going to go to Manhattan or just some <laughs> island. East St. Louis. On. Yeah, you see, Louis. So the next movie I wanted to kind of again the some of these earlier ones are Diaz, but they're more exaggerated. We're in the second half talking about stuff that I would not be shocked if it happened in my lifetime. I, a movie I've talked about before on here, and wanted to just bring it up again because I think it has such an iconic feel to what dystopia would look like. It's not a wasteland like Mad Max Fury Road. It's not, you know, like lawlessness like some of the movies we're going to talk about later on. It's just pure and utter. This is the second dumbest dystopia we're going to talk about on this podcast, Ty. And it's so likely to happen. And that's the movie Brazil. Now, have you seen Brazil? I've read so many articles about it and I understand the craziness of it. I have not. There's two movies when I was looking stuff up that I kept saying to myself, I need to watch. One of them's 12 Monkeys. The oh, other one is Brazil. Yeah, 12 Monkeys. I haven't seen either of those. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen either of those, but I really... Didn't Terry Gilliam make Brazil? Yeah, and he made 12 Monkeys. Yeah. So I really need to watch <laughs> both of those to consider myself a sci-fi fan, I think. Yeah, Brazil is a... It's a movie I equated a lot like 2001. It's a very good I movie. I love that movie. I say it's a love very good movie, movie but it's, it's, it's paced slowly. And you really got to sit there and watch it. The plot of the movie is almost secondary to just the feel of it. Jonathan Price plays this guy that works in the government and a fly accidentally gets into a printer and it's uh, it's an arrest warrant for, it's like Harry Tuttle or something like that. But a fly gets in and it says Harry Buttle. So some other rando guy gets arrested. Who is, uh, what's his name, plays, uh, Robert De Niro plays actually Harry Mm. Tuttle. And he's part of this underground revolution that's going to overthrow the government. And Jonathan Price is dreaming of this girl and all the, I mean, just this weird, weird crap. But the movie itself is just about the, how stupid bureaucracy is and Mm. how 
it's like 1984, but without all the sinister stuff in it. It's just, (laughs) you know, there's all these departments and you got to do this and you got to go through this. And the whole movie, there's always paper blowing around everywhere. Even, again, spoiler alert, people, uh, for a movie that came out. movie's been out for years. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Is at the end, Jonathan Price and Robert De Niro and all them, they they succeed and Price gets a girl and they're running away and everything's great. And then it pans back and you see he's just sitting in the torture chamber and they've lobotomized him, basically. Oh, And so it is a... Dark ending <laughs> to mm-hmm. a to a goofy kind of movie, but it is dark. So is it like has he dreamt up this whole thing or no? He basically the police arrest him after he gets a girl and all this stuff. They arrest him and they put him in this torture chair, and then it's a, a movie. I mean, it's I don't really think it's dyst- dystopic, dystopic or whatever. But a movie like Total Recall, where you get this image at the end of, is it really all just a dream, or did he do it? This is flat out, he escapes, does all this stuff, but you see the last 20 minutes of the movie didn't matter. It's just him imagining it. He just went insane in the torture chair. It's interesting you say that, too, because, you know, you always think about these movies and, like, not even just science fiction movies, but movies where, like, it it ends on a happy note. You always want to see the stuff after that. From what you're describing here is, like, yeah, sure, he won and he did everything, but he still got caught. Yep. He still got lobotomized. He so government it wins. was all good. Yeah, it was all good for maybe a week, and then it just all went to hell mm-hmm. after that. And that's that. I, I actually kind of appreciate. Again, I have not seen the movie, but I appreciate that Terry Gilliam did kind of the. Uh, I don't know, a post-credit scene, but in, within a movie. Yeah. You know? Again, talking about Futurama, there's the episode with Hermes Conrad where he has to file and sort all the stuff and yeah. all that stuff. That is directly out of Brazil. That is okay. a direct homage to the movie Brazil. Okay, Ty, we're going to end on a couple of uh, technology-driven things. One mm-hmm. probably scarier than the other, but I'd say equally, and it's funny, the last one you're going to talk about is a movie I actually just saw, like a month or so ago i'd never seen it before but let's begin first off with i am going to be honest with you we're going to talk about this movie here and then a movie in the second half the more i think about it, they're two of the best films i've ever seen and this okay. first one speaking of which the director alex garland has a mo- new movie out men uh, yeah i saw a preview for it when i went to see everything everywhere all at once and look he uh annihilation with natalie portman and oscar isaac Great incredible movie. movie the tv show devs I still think about that show. Fright, frightening stuff happened yeah. on it. But his first movie, I mean, just coming mm-hmm. out of the gate, Ex Machina. Tell me what captures the dystopia of that movie. I don't know if that makes sense, but good. You just tell me that there's not some billionaire genius like a Bill Gates, a Jeff Bezos. I don't wouldn't call him a genius, but a guy like Elon Musk who wouldn't move to some crazy compound, build artificial intelligence intelligence and make them all female and then eventually have a guy come out there and work for him and do these Turing tests on one of them who eventually gets out of the compound that she's in and for all intents and purposes goes on and just wrecks havoc in the world. I mean, that movie is chilling. Alicia uh, Alicia Vikander plays plays the robot in the movie and she's just so chilling and dare I say robotic in her mm-hmm decisions and the way she talks and oscar isaac is just wonderful as this eccentric billionaire who's a genius who has too much time and too much money and doesn't know what to do with himself so he's gonna make artificial intelligence he's gonna make them all beautiful women and then dom hall gleason plays the character who's giving the touring test to, to the robot and he's like the only one who sees that something's wrong something's off something's not normal with all this and the way that 
Vikander, her character, her robotic character uses him to get what she wants and the way that she takes over and beats Oscar Isaac. Spoiler alert, I believe she kills him to get mm-hmm. out of the house and she gets away. I don't know what happened to Dom Hall Gleason in that movie if I'm thinking about it, but you know, that that scene at the end when when she's out and she's in the real world and she's looking over a city, that stayed with me for weeks after watching that movie because I just thought she's been tortured by Oscar Isaac's character. She is going to take that and torture anybody she can run into. But again, it feels so real because we do. Bezos flew himself to space because he has too much money. Bill Gates, he's helping with COVID and helping with stuff like that, but he has too much money. Elon Musk, they have too much money. When is it going to be a point where they get people to start building them robots and then those robots overtake us. I'll fully admit, I like the movie iRobot. I think that's a Mm -hmm. good movie, but this is a far better version of that and far more likely of an outcome. And it just, that that movie chills me to this day when I think about it. Dom Hall Gleason, he's locked in the room. That's right. At the end. (laughs) So, I mean, there's like- The room that she's been locked in the whole time. Yeah. There's like four characters in this movie. Yeah, I mean, Isaac, <laughs> Vikander, Gleason, maybe like Gleason's mom or dad or something. No, there was the, the one girl. Yeah, he does that where yeah. Oscar Isaac does that super weird dance scene in it. One of the coolest scenes in movie <laughs> yeah, history, people. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it is. It is this. And I'm glad you actually brought up iRobot because I do. That's another movie I agree. I think is underrated. And mm-hmm. um, it's a classic story, obviously. And they have the whole. A robot cannot kill a human, cannot do this, cannot, like, those are just artificial things, artificial noises. This is, like, I look at Ex Machina as almost being like a prequel to Terminator, to the, totally. <laughs> to Skynet, totally. or to Matrix, or these movies, which I know people are like, why didn't you put those on the list? And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I mean, a little too much for me. But, anyways, it's, well, these uh, are our opinions anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ex Machina is the best film I've ever seen about artificial intelligence that even includes like another movie i considered except i mean how i don't really think the future is uh is a dystopic future but the spielberg movie ai which is an incredibly Mm -hmm. great movie until the last 10 minutes but um (laughs) but yeah this is great so well and and garland is just like you said out of the box with ex machina does annihilation which i think is criminally oh, so good <laughs> devs is you oh. told me to watch devs and that show haunts me and then when i saw the trailer for men the movie that's coming out i don't like horror and i really want to see that movie. yeah he is a guy that even more so than i know like uh denis villa villa new i cannot <laughs> yeah say his name. the guy who did arrival in blade runner 24 yes yeah yeah, yeah. And, and dune <laughs> yeah you know dune. he's the kind of guy that people are like okay it's must see you know he's must see guy uh yeah. garland is that to me it's absolutely all right, so let's end on a love story between uh, me and my multiple personal assistants. Tell me about the movie Her. And tell me, I want to know from you, because again, I'd never seen this movie. And it's really? uh, I'm on my sci-fi kick, and I watched it a little while back. I, I mean, freaking great movie. I mean, mm-hmm. great movie. And yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, who seems to be a tiring person in real life, is... <laughs> I, the dude is one of the best actors we have out there. He's a great actor. <laughs> He's so good in this. Why do you think this is a dystopia? Other than well, everybody wears bad clothing. 
Yeah, everybody does wear it. It's hilarious. The closing. And Spike Jones also made this movie. I just yeah. want people to know Spike yeah. Jones is a genius yes, who I'm a does. humongous fan of. No, I feel like we're already living in this type of world. We have nieces who are in high school. The way they communicate with, with their friends, with their boyfriends, with everybody is through a telephone. I, I have a 10-year-old son. You have a 12-year-old son. I'm 13 now. Is he a teen? I don't no, know. No, he's 12. He's 12. 12, okay. He's Excuse a teenager yeah. psychologically, but he's 12. <laughs> yeah. You have a 12-year-old, I have a 10-year-old, I have a 6-year-old. I cannot envision a world where they're not constantly on devices talking to friends and doing things. And that's essentially what her is. Joaquin Phoenix is this lonely card writer. He writes for greeting cards, like Hallmark-type cards. Mm -hmm. And he's a lonely guy. I believe he's divorced. He hasn't been able to date anybody. And he gets this artificial intelligence into his ear. And it's, you know, a, a woman that he can talk to and he can tell all those things. And he falls in love with it. He falls in love with a voice, essentially, that's in his ear. So much so that this movie has one of the most uncomfortable sex scenes I've ever seen in my life. When um, the, the artificial intelligence hires a lady to come in, but then Joaquin Phoenix can't go through with it because it's very uncomfortable and very hard to watch. But I think it's so realistic because I feel like we're living it now. I you can't tell me there's not some person your age or my age who, I mean, you hear all the time about people marrying a robot or something like that, that they've created are like marrying or want, wanting or being in a relation. We talked about TLC in our last episode. I wouldn't be shocked if TLC has some kind of strange addiction where somebody's in love with their pillow or something like that. How is this any different from somebody being in love with that? I think we're already living in a world where this is rampant. It's going on everywhere. And more power to these people that are in love with something like this. But I do suggest you watch the movie Her because that's the thing that gets me about this is at the end is you think the whole time you're watching, again, spoiler alert for this movie that came out almost 10 years ago, Joaquin Phoenix thinks it's just him and the voice of Scarlett Johansson. Mm -hmm. she's, she's with hundreds of other people yeah she even, yeah, says it yeah yeah and he when he realized that realizes that he's devastated but you come to think about it it's a computer program that he's been talking to this whole time so i think we're already living in it with the way people communicate and the way people talk and and do everything now i think we're already there well let's uh we'll take a break here while i tell God, how many do I have here? Alexa, Siri. I don't think I use Cortana anymore, but far and away, she's the one I would have loved the most. So. We, all, we all have robots in our house, man. So we'll take a break and come back with just stuff that's even darker. For sure. Hello, all. This is RD, and I want to take a minute here just to talk to you about how you can support this great podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, all the work we do on SeedSing.com, and especially all the hard work that Ty does bringing you the sports knowledge and the pop culture knowledge that you just so deeply want, and how you can support me bringing you all the political knowledge that you definitely do not want. We have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com and look up the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. And for just five bucks a month, guys, you are going to continue to be able to give you all this great content, give you the things that we are also craving that we know we need. And then in addition to that, we're going to be launching a Patreon-only podcast called the Ex-Millennial Man Political Report, where we're going to go through kind of more of a deep dive on my personal thoughts and other people's thoughts on what's going on politically around our country. That way we can keep the Ex-Millennial Man as your place where you're going to go to find out all the most important things. Guys, we created this, Ty and I did, because me being from Generation X and he being a millennial, honestly, I was tired of hearing about Citizen Kane's the greatest movie ever. It's a good movie, don't get me wrong, but we kind of got tired of, wait, nothing since Citizen Kane can be better? I mean, come on, Back to the Future is way better. To some of us, Fast and the Furious movies are way better. 
this is a place where we can talk about that stuff and where you're going to get that, again, not opinion, true fact of what is the greatest ever when it comes to music, sports, politics, all that stuff, is SeedSing.com and the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. So come on over to Patreon. Five bucks a month is all it is. And hey, if there's something more you need from that, come hit us up. Tell us. You need t-shirts? We can give you t-shirts. You need handshakes? Maybe we can give you that. But come on over to Patreon, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, and now I'm going to get you back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, let's talk about how Australia is the first step to the end of our society. And I really want to go to Australia at some point in my life. My wife has an aunt and uncle and cousins that live in Australia. I know my in-laws have been there a few times, and it looks absolutely gorgeous. But from my understanding, Mm -hmm. if you're not on the coast in Australia, you're basically inside a desert nightmare with every kind of creature under the planet that can kill you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I get. But it's uh, what Australia has given us, though, is some, um, not just recently, I, mean, I shouldn't say Australia, the whole kind of Oceania area. So New Zealand, you know, you had mm-hmm. Peter Jackson and uh, Taika Waititi are both from the New Zealand area. And then you had, obviously, George Miller that I'm going to talk about here shortly in Australia. Baz Luhrmann, who I, I don't know if you've seen this preview for this Elvis. Screw Elvis. I'm not watching anything about Elvis. That guy's a thief. It's <sighs> my opinion. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, I mean, and don't look, Baz Luhrmann is another kind of guy that anytime he's made a movie, I, I pay attention. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not even the Elvis thing. The movie's supposed to be Tom Hanks plays Colonel Tom Parker. And <laughs> you just got to watch the preview to hear the voice that Tom Hanks has invented for this. Because okay. I don't know if it's bad or one of the greatest things he's ever done. <laughs> uh, it might be. Tom Hanks is probably one of the greatest things he's ever done. <laughs> yeah. So there's a little movie that you, I know you'd written how you'd rediscovered it called mm-hmm. Rover. Tell me about, Love or it. The Rover. Tell me about The Rover. Yeah. So let me just read you. So I'm on IMDb right now for people who want to know. Let me just read you the first sentence in a description of this movie and tell me how eerie this sounds to you. Ten years after global economic collapse, a hardened loner pursues the man who stole his only possession, his car. (laughs) That's the first line of the movie. Global economic collapse. I mean, it wouldn't shock me to say that very easily something that can happen in our future. I think what really drew me to this movie, what I really like about it is, A, Guy Pearce and Robert Pattinson are incredible in this movie. I give Robert Pattinson a lot of flack. I know a lot of people, my wife included, love the Twilight movies, and I think they are unwatchable, mainly because of Pattinson's performance, but he is damn good in The Batman, and I, our buddy Kirk disagrees with me about that. We got in debates about that. He's really, really fantastic in the movie Good Time that the Safdie brothers did, but this role right here that he does in The Rover, I think is one of his best, maybe his best role to date that he's done of all the movies I've seen him in. And Guy Pierce is the hardened loader. Guy Pierce is this guy who lives in Australia. And this is this is what you were talking about. This is the brush. This is the grimy, deserty part of town. And Robert Pattinson's crew of hillbillies, he plays a southern hillbilly. They come in and rob Guy Pierce of his car. The rest of the movie is essentially Guy Pierce captures Robert Pattinson, gets him to help him find his car, and they go to these places, and gas is extremely hard to come by. 
everywhere is a desert. Water's hard to come by. Robert Pattinson keeps asking what they're doing. And Guy Pierce won't tell him why he's going to this place and why he keeps doing these things. People die the most unheroic deaths you see. It. It's as real life as I think you can get in a movie like this with somebody dying over something as simple as gas, over something as simple as a couple of dollars. And when you finally realize what Guy Pierce is after, he's after his car because his dead dog is in the trunk mm-hmm. of it and he needs to bury his dog. That's his main goal in life. He's lost everything else, but he still has his dog's, sorry to be gross, but he has his dog's corpse in his car and he needs to get it so he can bury his dog. And when he walks out after pretty much everybody's dead, Robert Pattinson gets shot and it shook me almost as much as Christina Hendricks' death and drive did. But when Guy Pierce walks out into that desert wasteland that is Australia and starts digging a hole for his dog and credits roll, I remember sitting there watching it the second time I, you know, because I revisited it recently. And I remember watching and thinking, this could easily happen within my lifetime. And that terrifies me that there could be some kind of global economic collapse. I could lose everything I cherish and I, I could get my car stolen with my dead dog's corpse in the back. And my main mission in life would be to get that car back so I can take care of my dog. So that's why this movie to me is so harrowing and it's not a fun watch. I will tell people that it is grueling and gritty and grimy, but it is a damn damn good science fiction dystopic movie i have not seen this movie and i should because Ooh, the, so good the guy who directed it uh david micon or michon or uh, something like yeah. that okay a couple of things first off that movie was co-written by joel edgerton mm-hmm. who plays uh the younger uncle owen in the star yeah. wars prequels and is going to be in the obi-wan <laughs> kenobi movies <laughs> he's also in a ton of other stuff he is too. he is no i know i just that's where i know him from i want to talk about obi-wan kenobi show there's that but there's a movie that this guy directed uh called the king it was a netflix movie it was uh, like straight to netflix it has timothy chalamet in it and uh robert pattinson so obviously okay. he knows how to work with this guy the king is an incredible movie i mean a I've great great movie so what it is is uh this director and joel edgerton they basically were taking the King Henry, the plays from Shakespeare, and they made this story out of it. And it is brutal. I mean, okay. uh, Chalamet plays Henry V, and uh, Pattinson plays the French Dauphin. And there's like a line where they're sitting there. And Pattinson, who again, has this accent that's so ridiculous, but it's so mm-hmm. good. And he tells Chalamet, I fall asleep peacefully at night listening to the screams of your men. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> it's a. <laughs> hardcore film and that's i'm like okay i love that movie so i need to go back and i need to watch this with the movie you're about to talk about i think this is a very very good like newer interpretation of it with the movie that i believe we're about to discuss next yes so originally i was thinking about fury road i mean it's uh, the world because you're always thinking about Uh, yeah right the world's a wasteland but my thing the reason why i'm not going to talk about fury road here is because that's something i don't think is going to happen in my lifetime Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, and look, it is, it's obviously one of my favorite movies of all time. And then I thought about going back to the original Mad Max, but you just basically described the original Mad Max done better. Uh-huh. The original yeah, Mad well, Max is just society starting to break apart. It's yeah. not, it hasn't gotten there. So then I thought about the Road Warrior, or mm-hmm. as it's called in Australia, Mad Max 2. The Road Warrior takes place like immediately after everything's kind of fallen yeah. apart. And mm-hmm. gasoline is one of the most valuable things. And these people are kind of going into gangs. And you thought Amortem and Joe was a great name. It's <laughs> Lord Humongous in this movie. 
<laughs> that rules. <laughs> and it's this whole, I mean, and the movie is like, it's dirty. That movie feels, I mean, Mad Max Fury Road looks like you're in an art gallery looking at beautiful paintings. The Road Warrior, I feel like I went to just go pay two bucks in some seedy movie theater and someone <laughs> behind me may, may not have their pants on. I mean, that movie <laughs> is so, it's just dirty. And God, I hate to say anything good about anybody, but that's Mel Gibson at his best. He's a horrible person, but yes. he's great as Max. Yeah, just this detachment and the cars in it. Again, Fury Road is a masterpiece, but the Road Warrior, we're not going to see Fury Road. We could see the Road Warrior. We could mm-hmm. see this. And it's it's one of these movies, too, where like Fury Road has this really uplift. And I know I'm forgetting Beyond Thunderdome, but trust me, we've all forgotten Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah. You get this sense of hope at the end of Fury Road. And the sense of, okay, Max is going to go on to the next thing and Furiosa is going to save everybody and stuff like that. At the end of The Road Warrior, it's not hope, it's relief. Because it's all, the these gangs are just going to these towns and taking everything and all that stuff. And Max gets this rig filled with gas and so they all chase him. And at the end, huge crashes, all this other crap. The rig is filled with sand. And Max mm-hmm. realizes that the townsfolk took all the gas put in their cars and got away while he led the gang off. And yeah. it, it's, it's great. I mean, it's a, it's a good movie. <laughs> and it's a movie that we talk about shortages here and all this other stuff and what's happening. It's a movie that if we don't get our crap together, we're not far from this. So, you know, with the Rover and uh, with Mad Max too, I think similar stuff. Gas is valuable. And I think these two movies really do a good job of, of talking about Okay, so this one I was going to put at the beginning along with like Planet of the Apes or Escape from New York saying it's kind of fantastical. And if, if we'd done this podcast before the pandemic, I would have said that. And then I realized how we all treat each other and how we act in the pandemic and realized mm-hmm. that, you know what? We're on the Snowpiercer train already. We just haven't 100%. built the train itself. So yep. give me your thoughts on Snowpiercer. Uh, fabulous. <laughs> I mean, fabulous yeah. freaking movie. <laughs> Yeah, I love this movie. Oscar-winning director, yes. Long Joon Ho, directed it. Who directed it? He didn't win for this, but he won for P- Parasite. It's like you said, pre-pandemic, I might have agreed with you, but you could start to see kind of breaks in class and how people viewed certain other people and doing stuff like that. But I could easily see a world where, again, this goes into climate change. Everything gets cold. It's you know not livable outside. You have to fight to get a place on this train, and the train is broken down into classes where obviously front of the train is the rich people. Then you kind of have the middle where it's just people who are you and I, middle-class people, you know, whatever people who are doing that. And as you get further and further back in the train, it gets lower and lower class until you're in the very back where Chris Evans and Jamie Bell and um, Octavia Spencer, all these people are there and they're considered the lowest of the low. They're the lowest of society. They eat protein bricks every day and they have to do all the work and they're all dirty and hardened, but their whole we're going to fight to get to the front of this train. We're going to do everything we can. And I love the whole idea of uprising and trying to overthrow this puritanical government, this oligarchy that you want to overtake because they're treating you as less than. And I love seeing them fight and, you know, fighting their way to the front. But within all that, people die. William Hurt gets killed by, you know, one of the people on the train who, because they find out he's working with so-and-so. And Octavia Spencer gets, I believe, shot in the head by somebody when they're fighting in the spot. Jamie Bell dies in one of the most 
kick-ass fight scenes I've mm-hmm. ever seen before where they go to night vision and one of the bad guy cuts a fish's guts out <laughs> and you're just like, oh my God, this is going to go, <laughs> this is going to get crazy from here. And like the, the karate, the little kid, the kid who does all the good karate, he ends up dying while trying to save somebody else until... Chris Evans' character and the two other people he's with. I do not know who those actors are, the two Asian actors in those roles. I do not know who those people are, but they eventually get to the front of the train. And this is when the dystopia stuff really kicks in for me because Chris Evans is talking to um, it's a guy who played Sidney Pollock and was in Truman Show. I cannot think of that actor's name right now, but he's at the head of the ship. What's that actor's name? Ed Harris. Ed Harris, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the two of them are having a conversation at Harris is running the train, obviously. And Chris Evans just talking about how, you know, you treat us like this. Why do you do this? And he finds out that the protein bars are being made from like flies and stuff that little kids are putting there. The little kids they've taken from the back of the train and moved up to work here. But Chris Evans gives a line at one part in there where he says, it got so bad at one point we started eating people. And you know what I hate most about myself? And he says, what it said? He says, I know that babies taste best. I know that newborns taste best. And I'm just like, but that's so dystopic because you get to a point in your life where it's like, well, I got to eat to survive. I don't want to die. So I'm going to start doing the most wild thing I can think of. And, you know, when I look back at this movie, that line has always haunted me. But I think what I like most about it is what I appreciate most about it is you see them see the quote unquote lowest class people fighting their way to the front and really just trying to overthrow this terrible government that they have on this train. Yeah, no, it is. And it, like I said, you you see the more reality of it. I I go back to those 1960s and 70s sci-fi movies, even things like Mad Max, things like uh, Escape from New York in the early 80s. They're very much products of their time. They're very Mm -hmm. much like cynicism in government or science run amok or all this other stuff. And This is what our best science fiction does, is it takes a mirror of where we are now and says, if you don't stop this crap, this is where you're going. Snowpiercer is a great example of that. In my opinion, where we sit today, where we sit in the middle of May 2022, there's a movie and a TV show, I'm going to kind of conflate them together, that it's like, this is where we're going. The first one is the movie Children of Men, which I did not realize, that movie came out in 2006. I thought the movie was a lot more recent. It's a phenomenal movie. Oh, it's an incredible movie. And it gets it gets a lot of love, rightfully so, for the opening tracking shot that's like 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And again, for those that don't know, it's, the movie starts in the year 2027, okay? Mm-hmm. And the youngest human being had just died. He was 18 years old. So mm-hmm. no babies had been born in 18 years. And the whole movie is, I mean, again, society's just falling apart. And there's a, a group of people, they have this thing called like the Human Project. There's a boat they have called Tomorrow. And there's a, a woman, a pregnant woman, this African-American woman, and Clive Owen needs to get her to that boat. That's basically the movie. But at the same time, the British government is fighting with all these refugees due to all the wars we've been having. Think of Ukraine right now. All of this stuff, and the whole movie is them just, is Clive Owen, who's lost hope in everything. You learn that he and uh, Julianne Moore, they had a kid who died during a flu pandemic. Yep. (laughs) And And Julianne Moore's death in that is so sudden and unsuspecting. Yeah. It's one of these movies. I mean, the whole movie, it's very propulsive, but you're watching it and there's a sense of dread. The African-American woman, her name is Key, gives birth to the baby and there's all this fighting breaks out because, again, the refugees and the British military are starting a war. When the British troops see the woman with the baby. 
they let them pass. They stop fighting. Mm-hmm. And the end of the movie is Clive Owen rowing this woman and her new baby to the boat tomorrow while he's dying because he'd been yeah. shot. And the movie fades to black and you hear children laughing at the end. Mm. It is such a good movie. I mean, so good. But it's so, it's you watch it and you're like, this is where we're heading. Climate change, whatever, forced sterilization, all this other stuff. Like, how long before we're not having kids? Yeah. Now, yeah. that leads me to The Handmaid's Tale, the Hulu Yeah, I've show. never seen that. Yeah, never seen it. And this I one, know the story. Though. Yeah, yeah. everybody knows the story. It's this theocratic government that took over, and women are basically having trouble giving birth. So the women that can give birth are put in households with very powerful men. Those men impregnate those women, and that's what those women are. They're, they're a domestic supply of infants, to quote our Supreme Court Justice, Amy uh. Barrett. The Hulu show, and the reason why I want to bring this up, now, I've only seen the first two seasons, and I'm going to tell you, the first season of that show, just watching it, how you go from what America is now to the America of the Handmaid's Tale, they show it to you. It's really good. I mean, a lot of it's done in flashback, obviously, but it's really good how they do it. Now, gosh, what's her name? Elizabeth Moss, who plays the lead in it. You see her, like you see a scene of her. You know, she's listening to her earbuds or whatever, her pods or whatever. And she goes into a coffee shop and pays with a credit card. And they're like, oh, well, your credit's been frozen. And then you see some man walk by her and just call her a slut and just completely demonize women. Now, what? yes, <laughs> and, and you see that happening today. It is happening mm-hmm. now. Ty, before I got on this podcast, I was picking up my son from school, and I was listening on the radio. Again, this was today of some woman saying that, look, you know how you don't have an abortion? Don't have sex. And girls oh today God. are too promiscuous, and they think they can just go have sex everywhere. That is today. That is ha- they're demonizing the women now. And and what happens when we have some kind of <coughs> ecological disaster where women become infertile? We, I guarantee you, Ty, we will enslave those women that can have children. Mm-hmm. And it, it pisses me off. And I'm going to tell you the reason why I have not watched The Handmaid's Tale past the second season. That second season actually gives me nightmares. I cannot oh, wow. imagine. I mean, the whole first half of it is her holed up in the Boston Globe's newspaper offices because she's hiding out there. But the newspaper doesn't run, and there's a scene where she goes down to their main room where all the reporters were, and you see these bullet holes and blood splatters all over the wall from where they lined the journalists up and shot them. My God. I can't watch the show because it feels too real to me. Uh (laughs) And I just stopped. I just It is a brutal, brutal show. Anyways, I had to bring that up. But Ty, I'm not ending on that kind of sadness. (laughs) No, yeah. <laughs> we're end on a different kind of set. We're going to end where <laughs> definitively we are. Okay, so this movie takes place, Ty, and I believe the year is 2505. Okay. Uh-huh. We don't need 500 years to get to this. We are there. We are here now. Yep. And that is the movie Idiocracy. Yep. <laughs> I remember at the start of the pandemic when I was, uh, what do we call it? Social distance running with, with Kirk on here. And we would talk on the phone while we ran. So I'd have earbuds in while I talked and I told him how I watched the actually the other night and I said it's kind of scary how close we are to that but also kind of funny he texted me the very next day and said that movie frightens me now it's like yeah, that that is where we are 
Before I get into it, I wanted to, uh, this is, I just find fascinating. The movie was made for around $3 million. It made less than half a million dollars in the box office. Really? Every single person I know has seen the Id- Idiocracy. But you oh, know yeah. what? I didn't see it in the theater. Neither did I. <laughs> so, look, if you guys are listening to this podcast, you know what Idiocracy is. Luke Wilson and Maya Rudolph, who plays a prostitute. Luke Wilson plays just some slubby. <laughs> average norm- Joe, the yeah, most average yeah. guy in the world. Right. <laughs> They're going to do some experiment where they get frozen for a year, but the army guy has been hanging out with Maya Rudolph's pimp upgrade. Upgrade. <laughs> and gets arrested, and then they don't wake up until 500 years in the future. And Society's just, completely stupid. Yes. There's St. God Hospital, and yep. Dak Shepard plays Frito, yep. the lawyer. Mm-hmm. Well, and Justin Long plays a doctor, and oh, yeah, you know, yeah. on here or whatever, but when Joe goes to see him, he says, basically, all your S is effed up, bro. <laughs> like, something like that, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And look, that's we are so dumb. I mean, people are wearing outfits in that in that movie that say their profession. Justin Long has like this ridiculously loud outfit that says doctor. on it. <laughs> Dak Shepard is a lawyer. His says lawyer. on it. Like, <sighs> yeah. And because the Starbucks there is like a, a, a sexual favor. Parlor. Yeah. It's a sexual favor massage. Parlor. Yeah. Even like the Maya Rudolph character in it, you know, she wakes up and some guy like walks up and is like, Hey baby, you, you got, and she's like, it's going to cost this much money. And he gives her the money and walks away. Yeah. <laughs> and she realizes wait because she says you gotta wait a couple of days. So she's just waiting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then when she doesn't realize she's in the future and she's like goes to the phone yeah. or whatever and says, I'm looking for upgrade and they're like, There are eight thousand nine hundred and forty seven upgrades <laughs> in the phone system. Well and like when, when uh Luke Wilson as Joe is doing the uh IQ test and yeah. people can't put a square block into a square hole. They're all put in the triangles. And one kid like <laughs> covers up his board when Joe looks over and Joe's just like, what you? <laughs> so it's, it's ridiculous. We, we are there. I mean, the very yeah. beginning of that movie where it's like, it shows how the family trees go and there's one dumb hillbilly yeah. and he's got all the girls like, I'm going to make you all pregnant tonight. And then the smart family. I, look, yeah. some of the dumbest they can't people, get pregnant. Yes. I, I'm running a political campaign right now, and there's some super right-winger on one side who has nine children. Nine. Jesus. Okay? And it's just a crazy, stupid, stop-the-steals type idiot and stuff like that. Jeez. I have one child. You have yeah. two children. The mm-hmm. dumb people are outbreeding us. I was just at my psychiatrist a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, and we were talking about this movie because of stuff like that, how crazy it is. And that's what he said. Have you seen this movie where all the dumb people are breeding? I'm like, yes, I've seen that movie. <laughs> the other thing, too, that blows my mind about that movie, I have to go out and water my veggie garden before I go take my son to baseball practice tonight. I'm not going to water it with Gatorade. Well, right. <laughs> and th- you, there is so that that's, you know, kind of a good the the thirst mutilator brondo hell i'm drinking gatorade right now but it's like they brondo's taking everything over and they say in the movie because it it bought the usda the fda and the fcc Mm -hmm. i mean this is trump's presidency he put the guy who screwed all of the employees at hardy's for decades in charge of the commerce department this is what nope. really happens. Talk about the dumb people are breeding or whatever. What's crazy to me, too, is like when Joe tells him, you need to water plants with water. And they all say to him, you mean the stuff <laughs> out of the toilet. <laughs> That's how they look at water. <laughs> the stuff out of the toilet. And then, you know, obviously you got to talk about Terry Crews and President <laughs> Dwayne so Elizondo, Mountain Dew, Herbert Camacho. 
I mean, if I wanted to put a parental advisory, I would just play his speech in front of Congress. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so... I mean, so good. Yeah, it is. It, it, look, the thing about it, we talked about like great fictional presidents. He is actually a great president. I know he uh-huh. was going to have Joe killed by a, uh, uh-huh. a monster truck and stuff, but he took the smartest man in the world and he put him in charge mm-hmm. to fix problems. Nah, he did. <laughs> and he then did. I he, just, he... I, I just love the end too, where it's like uh, Joe and Rita, my Rudolph's character, got married, and they say they had uh, like three of the smartest children ever. And then his yeah. vice president, Frito, <laughs> took eight <laughs> wives and had thirty of the dumbest children. <laughs> ever. Yeah. And like props to Dak Shepard because he he's a guy who I'm like, oh, I don't know about his acting or whatever. He's so so good in that movie and when he's watching that one show and he can't answer the door he's baiting like he's baiting that's what he (laughs) says he can't answer baiting like you're just so (laughs) so blatant with her because people are so stupid they don't have that filter to like cover their shame (laughs) and that's the world we live in right now yeah it is it's uh ty if if somebody (laughs) needs to get in touch with you to figure out how to take your children's DNA and put them into robots that so they're going to be super smart and kill us all. Where are they going to find you? Find me on Instagram and Facebook, Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K, all lowercase. More importantly, you can read my stuff on Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. I've written about a good number of movies we discussed today. I also highly recommend people watch these movies, but you can go back at Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com and read my reviews of, of most of these movies we talked about. You can hear me on Chucklehead Chat, a podcast I do sometimes with a buddy of mine. That's wherever you can get podcasts. But more important than that, you can hear me on this podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast. Rate, review us, tell your friends about us, check out our Patreon. And as I like to end all these, please, please go get vaccinated. There's been a little uptick in cases and I know things are quote unquote back to normal. If you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, I'm watching the NBA playoffs and I hear about guys who can't play because they're not fully vaccinated. Go get vaccinated. You and I didn't get dangerously ill because we were vaccinated. So please go get vaccinated. Fight to keep abortion legal. It's very important that we have that legal right. We shouldn't have men telling women what to do with their bodies. It's not a man's choice. It's a woman's choice. And as always, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, repeat all that. Seedsing.com, ex-millennial man. Again, I that was on the radio hours ago. That's crazy. This is and look, I I have often say this to people all the time. There are more of us than there are of them. They are louder, mm-hmm. but there are more of us. A lot of these movies have a sense of hope at the end of them. A lot of them do. I don't know, maybe the last two seasons of Handmaiden's Tale would make me feel better. Uh, but or Handmaid's Tale, sorry, would make me feel better, but it's so soul crushing because of what I look outside at right now. And I, I've seen that super prison. I've been through East St. Louis, the worst city in America. So, um, but I believe Detroit has taken over. But. <laughs> so there is, I mean, that's why children of men is such a great movie because there's hope at the end of it. Even like movies like Mad Max is Max is just going to go help somebody else down the way. He's just a dude that's going to help. Guy Pierce got to bury his dog at the end of yes. the rover. While we talk about this darkness, even a movie like her, a movie like her has such an incredibly great ending of them sitting on the mm-hmm. roof, uh, you know, yeah. watching the sunset or rise or whatever. But yeah, so we have to, the point is know what the negatives are now, know what can happen and do something to make it better. That's my absolutely. Cry. With all that being said, we thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the X Millennial Man podcast? Remember, we're here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And Ty, I know it is 
blazing hot as sin out there because my wife mm-hmm. is visiting her parents in St. Louis. Their air conditioner went out yesterday, and she's Ooh. like, this is miserable. I'm sorry to hear that. that <laughs> hopefully the air conditioner gets fixed because, well, luckily today's supposed to be the last super-duper hot day, and it's supposed to cool off, but it it has not been fun this week, so I feel for your wife and, and your wife's family. Yeah, that, so, that, that's uh, brutal. Well, I'll get my train together so we can all start <laughs> yeah. getting out there. So. Alright, well, talk to you next time. Take it easy. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.